Okay, so we got Mixler updated and all that good, goody, good, good stuff. Woo! Happy New Year! Happy New Year, Andrea. What's going on? Well, I wish we had something better to talk about with the same old stuff, but we have a different take on it, so it's all good. You were wanted to talk about the obvious winners of the offseason so far, and your top two choices, of course, were the Angels and the Rockies, and I would probably venture to guess that not very many people would argue with that. Um, although, of course, I had to find something that I didn't agree with about it. Let's talk about the Angels first. They, they signed Justin Upton. That was like the beginning of the thought that they could actually compete, really, in my mind, anyway. And then they went ahead and signed Otani. And I was just listening to somebody today talking about how, you know, the losers of the offseason were the 29 teams that didn't get Otani. And obviously the Angels are the clear-cut winner here, you know. And to me, it's not obvious at all. I mean, I've never seen this. This guy's never even pitched on American soil. <laughs> he, I, who knows if he's even ever been to this country? Does he speak English? Probably not. I All I'm saying is that this huge change in culture is a big thing. They don't even know. We don't know where they're going to play him. Is he a hitter? Is he a pitcher? Is he both? I mean, the questions are endless, not only with him, but with the Angels rotation in general. That's kind of where I would argue that the Angels – may look like the best team on paper, but, you know, I guess that's all relative to the quality of the signings that this offseason. So, like, I mean, if Clayton Kershaw was available and some other team got him, the Otani thing wouldn't be so cool. So it really just, I think, is relative to what is going on around you at the time. Well, that's fair. And, I mean, winners of the offseason, we've barely had an offseason. There's been a lot of time, but there hasn't been a ton of signing. So, we're going off of, you know, the moves that have been made and who was one. And Otani was one of those big pieces. But there are a lot of pieces that have not gone off the board. And that could certainly change the fortunes of teams. Uh, but regardless of winning the offseason, Andrea, um, teams do that all the time. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate. But for the Rockies, this was already a playoff team. Um, we know they lost Holland. They replaced him with possibly the only other guy that is even on his level. Guy that's actually probably better, um, or at least more consistent throughout his career since being closer in Wade Davis. They brought in Brian Shaw from the Indians. They brought back McGee, and they also signed a veteran catcher. So going off of being a team that was already there last year, they've made necessary moves to kind of be back where they are. Are they done? I don't know. With the Angels, you're right. We don't know what's going to be with Otani. But if he is going to be a pitcher, this is a team that went through so many starters last year, so many players in the bullpen as well. They didn't have Trout for an extended period of time, um, and they still were kind of right in the race until mid-September. So you're adding Trout for a full season, you hope. You're bringing back Upton for a full season, not just getting him at the trade deadline. You sign Zach Cozart. You trade for Ian Kinsler. Not that those guys are necessarily huge pieces, but they're upgrades to what they've had. They're also very good defensively, making the Angels a much better defensive ball club. And if they do get healthy starts from a Garrett Richards, if Otani can pitch, there is a lot to like about the Angels based on their team last year and what it is right now. Um, yes, I mean, absolutely. They're, you know, heading into the season, it's real easy to say who's who's the best team on paper, but it never really works out that way. It's really all about who, how they get along and all of this. Their pitching has some serious holes in it, uh, so I would be surprised if they didn't try to add another starter at least because the, the crew that they have now is just not <laughs> – I could see holes like Swiss cheese, dude. But and, and the Colorado Rockies, so you're right. When you say that this team was a contending team last year, I agree. They, um, they pretty much enter this season with the same – close to the same hitters as they did last season. Uh, they're missing cargo, but not, not too much of a loss here. But my question is, you want to add all of this money as, uh, into your bullpen. They've committed over $100 million to their bullpen in the last week, okay? And honestly – Brian Shaw and Jake McGee, they're average. Like, I mean, Brian Shaw is going to eat up a ton of innings. He's a he's an effector, okay? He's going to he's going to eat up innings, but he's never really been that great of a strikeout guy. He now we're talking about a guy now he's in Colorado. Colorado is like obviously everybody knows that Colorado is not a, an easy place for pitchers. And what gets me the most is that they paid Wade Davis the most money that any closers ever made. He beat out Aroldis Chapman from last year. Well, look at the look at the players that were signed last year, the relief pitchers. You had Aroldis Chapman, 
five years, 86 million. You had Kenley Jansen, five years, 80 million. Mark Melanson, four years, 62 million. All three of those guys were breaking records, right? For the for the highest paid relief pitcher, closer, whatever. Melanson obviously spent like his whole season on the DL. He went he had surgery last season to repair some kind of chronic problem in his right arm. He had the worst season of his life and he's not none of these guys are on the right side of 30 by the way and i just feel like to pay this bullpen this 100 million dollars when you could have got look at all the other signings that have happened look at all the relief pitchers that have been signed they're actually getting paid more than what we're used to seeing but i mean there i don't know if there's a bullpen in baseball now that can that tops Colorado Rockies and honestly they had a decent bullpen last season so when you're trying to figure out why you were a good team last year but you couldn't compete maybe it was the Dodgers were just too good or whatever how do we like mend those holes so that we can actually compete against the Dodgers bullpen is not going to do it you already had bullpen you were fine with the bullpen that you had Chris Brewson is the is the underrated reliever of this squad Greg Holland did a great job he's probably going to get paid half of what Wade Davis does and uh, although Wade Davis had a great season last year he's he's on the wrong side of 30 and I would say that um, last year they made the playoffs for the first time in eight years a lot of it was because of their bullpen so that's fine Um, what do you think about think about why they need that bullpen though they need that bullpen because they can't trust their rotation. Their rotation, though, to give them length. I Even think the, rot- the names outside of John Gray aren't bad. Do they have arms? Yeah, but none of them give them any length at all. And that bullpen is used so much, and to kind of they're they're balancing it out. I mean, they could have gone. You're right. They could have gone out and spent that money maybe on another starting pitcher, but they prefer to do it in their bullpen. Go and- with the guys that they have. Okay. have that bullpen to back those guys up, which was, you're right, it's part of their success. Are they any better than last year? No. I think you're right there. But based on what they were losing, they did a good job of bringing it back, even though they spent a lot of money. I understand that. But for what they're trying to do and to try and keep rising, I guess, in the rankings for themselves and as an organization, they've done what they've had to do. So, I mean, Jake McGee, again, he's okay, but he's nothing. He's not that special. Over 30, I think. They have 17 bullpen Auto guys. Dino's very good, too. 17 bullpen guys. Explain that to me. I mean, seriously, how many, bullpen, how many bullpens do you need? Let me actually look at that a little bit closer here and see how many bullpen guys they have. Because on their 25-man roster... They've got 11 just listed on the depth chart as whatever. But if I'm looking at fan graphs and I'm looking at their relief pitcher squad, I'm seeing guys that possibly don't even count or matter, but like youngsters like Jairo Diaz, Shane Carl, Jeff Hoffman had nine innings. But last year they had 17 bullpen guys. They were competitive. I just don't see the whole reasoning to go and spend the most money ever spent on a closer in Wade Davis when they could be looking at some more. I don't know. They have one more shot at it. One more shot before Arenado or Blackman and everybody becomes a free agent. They got one more shot at it. On the other side of that, they have starting, their starting rotation. They have John Gray, who's probably one of the best Rockies that's been around since in my lifetime, maybe, as a pitcher. I just don't see why they wouldn't stack up their rotation. They have zero money going to the rotation because they were, all of these guys are so young. They're all under contract. So you think they should have gone after what? Arietta, Cobb? Maybe they still Darvish. will. You know, maybe they still will. I don't know why they got Ionetta either because they have three other catchers. Two of them are major league catchers and one of them was a minor league catcher. So why did they feel the need to get Ionetta? Everybody can hit in, in Coors Field. Everybody. So you don't need to go out and try to get like a veteran power hitter in like Ionetta. I mean, what you really need is just somebody to stay healthy. But do you know what I mean? Like anybody can hit in Colorado. Yeah, and I guess that's why they're loading up on as much pitching as possible. But they could obviously use more um, more starting pitching. But um, Royal 29 Boom in the chat room said it best. She took the words right out of my mouth. It's really hard to get quality starters to sign in Coors Field because they don't want to go there. They know how tough it is to pitch. I don't know. People go where the money is, and that's the bottom line. I mean, they don't care. You know, a quality starter, when we say quality starter, we're talking about are we looking for a veteran here? Are we looking for these youngsters? 
gray, I think, is is for fantasy. A lot of pe- times people stay away from Colorado pitchers, which I totally understand. But I absolutely have will not be shying away from John Gray. Hopefully, I can even get him on a team, though. He seems to be going pretty early in drafts. Yeah, well, there's a lot of upside to John Gray if he can stay healthy. One team that wasn't in my top two but have done a lot and could should be considered winners right now um, is the Mariners because they got not much production last year from center field or first base positions. They made the trade for Ryan Healy from the A's. They got Deke Gordon from the Marlins to put him in center, having a lot of speed, different dynamic to that lineup. And then you look at what they have already with Cruz, Cano, Segura, and Kyle Seeger. It's a pretty stacked lineup now for a team that also is not so far away from being able to contend. They added Juan Nicasio to their bullpen as well. They need um, starters. They need, but their their biggest issue is what to do with Felix Hernandez because he's clearly not Felix Hernandez of old. And he has a lot of money. He's clogging up a spot in that rotation. And beyond Paxton, um, there's not a lot to like there, even though Mike Leake has shown some signs of being alive in the, over the last year or two as well. I mean, a lot of it will count on King Felix doing at least well enough to um, just eat up some innings. But like last year, he had 86 innings. The year before that, it was 153. This guy's pitched over 200 innings like the last 10 years straight. Okay, so he doesn't have a lot more arm, innings on his arm. James Paxton is a question mark. He's never been able to stay healthy. I, You know, Mike Leake, Erasmo Ramirez, these guys, I guess pitching in Seattle is – a good thing, right? So should like unlike Colorado, they shouldn't have as much trouble trying to get somebody quality to sign there. No, they shouldn't, and I mean they were going heavy for Otani, if you remember. Um, and not not that that would have been the answer because there's question marks with him, as we already alluded to. Um, I think the biggest thing we're taking from this, though, Andrea, is that why aren't some of the big name starting pitcher signs like you Darvish, like Cobb, like Arietta. So let's talk about that. Okay. What do you do you want me to say why? Well first of all, all this rumor about the Yankees getting you Darvish, I mean honestly it comes down to this. If they want to stay under the taxes for this one season, then they're gonna to have to forego getting Darvish. That's all there is to it. They can't afford him if they want to stay under. And it would behoove them to stay under. Although I've seen crazier things happen. I've seen crazier things happen, too. I mean, that's a matter of um, what the Steinbrenner kids want to do. If they're willing to spend the money, then, of course, that rumor makes sense. Um, The Astros were linked to him, too. But honestly, if I'm making a bet on where he could go, I think the Cubs are still a very realistic spot. And I think the Twins really are a realistic spot, even though they're known as that small market team. They were linked to him early, and I think they still have a lot of interest. They're desperate for another starter, you know, Irvin Santana was great. Barrios definitely very intriguing. Um, but the Twins really need another starter. And the Cubs are still looking for an Arietta replacement. They brought in Chatwood, right? Um, but that's more of a lackey replacement. Why don't they just sign Arietta? What's their problem? See, Lenny says Cobb to Cubs, but Lenny, Cobb's asking for $20 million per year. I mean, I think he's kind of priced himself out of that, Who? I think you can get Arietta or Darvish for $20 million a year. Who's pricing himself at $20 million a year? Cobb. Cobb is full of it. He's not... <laughs> okay, so Cobb has some talent, right? But is he... Let me just take a look at his number so I don't make a fool out of myself. I just... Okay, so he's okay. But honestly, he's, he's a, once again, 30 years old. His batting, I mean, his ERA is not good. I mean, the best batting, batting average, the best ERA he had was back in 2013. But he missed all of 2015. He came back in 2016, pitched 22 innings. And then last year he pitched 179, and that's a huge jump, even though he did it before, which, which makes it a little better. It's a lot to put on your arm in one season after you haven't been working it for a long time. Let me ask you this, though. Yeah. Let's say... You would think that Darvish and Arietta are getting more money than Cobb. Cobb is asking for $20 million. Yeah, it's, he's just asking for it. But that's what he would like to get. If someone's willing to dish out that $20 million for Cobb, then what does that mean for Darvish and Arietta? Because $20 million or so is what I saw for guys like that. Um, well, I guess, so if Cobb goes first, 
for that much money, I don't think that's going to happen. I just don't think that's feasible. I totally, if he wants $20 million, he's probably going to have to wait until Darvish and Ariad are both signed because those two are really the ones that are going to be setting the, setting the bar. If Alex Cobb goes first, uh, like I said, I don't think they will, but he'll go for a lot less than 20 well, yeah, because he's easily the least interesting of those three guys. He hasn't been a Cy Young guy. He's never pitched in the World Series, and he doesn't project as a frontline type of starter like Arietta has been, like Darvish can be too. I mean, um, the only incentive for a team to offer him a contract before Darvish and before Arietta gets signed is if they can get him at a huge discount, and then they'll, they'll be making him an offer saying, you should probably take this because there's like two other really good pitchers out there getting money. I mean, and, like, I keep thinking about you, Darvish, and I don't think it really should matter, but do you think teams are a little skeptical after the World Series performance? For that reason, probably not. I mean, I don't, I don't but uh, no, because there's a lot of good pitchers in Major League Baseball that aren't that good in the playoffs, but that doesn't really mean that their value goes down. I think Clayton Kershaw is not, maybe he was this year, but... You know, in history, he wasn't very good in playoffs, so he's still going to be signing a monster deal. I, I would be more concerned with you, Darvish, going. I mean, in, he missed, look, 2015, nothing. 2016, 100 innings. 2017, 186 innings. Another huge increase, and his numbers weren't very good last year either, but, you know, he was recovering and. Who knows? He's a good pitcher, obviously. He's 31, another one on the wrong side of 30. So maybe the age, you know, maybe 30 is the new 20. I just think everyone's so desperate for starting pitching. I mean, that's why I can't believe that none of these guys have gone. And I think it is Alex Cobb. I think they're, I mean, we know with these types of things that one domino needs to fall first. So if Cobb goes, as you've mentioned, then we're going to see what's going to happen would have a much better idea, at least, of the amount of money that a Darvish or Arietta is going to get. But with Darvish specifically, yeah. you look, and the Cubs make some sense. The Twins have been very interested in him. But what about his former team in the Texas Rangers? I know they brought in Doug Fister. I think they traded for Matt Moore. But they lack a lot of pitching. And even dating back to when they traded him to the Dodgers, there were rumors about them trying to bring him back. I still think Texas makes the most sense for Darvish. I mean, I guess they, I guess he does, and um, he he does make sense there. Although I'd be wondering if they would be willing to pay him the amount of money that he's going to ask for. Although that division, you know, they with the Angels, um, everybody is under this impression that the Angels are going to just crush that division. I think, but then then of course Houston, they're uh, I no, don't know. No one's he, touching the Astros. Some, the one, all those West teams, the other West teams are looking for a wild card spot. I don't. I mean, obviously they they're they're playing to beat the Astros, but right. we so don't know how good that team is. Can can Texas beat? Can does Texas think that it's good enough to beat? Um, obviously they can probably beat Oakland, but still Oakland has a couple of youngsters on there that have made them have a really great end of the season. So I don't know. I. I don't know what Texas is going to do, but I also have them in my notes. I also know that, like, you Darvish is, like, flirting with everybody. He's having dinner with, <laughs> you know, uh, the Texas manager. He's met with the Cubbies. He's meeting with the Astros. He's, I mean, everybody. He's basically linked it to everybody. So the Yankees, I mean, of course, the media loves to send people to the Yankees. I... I just find I kind of find it funny since it's been made apparent that they are going to try to stay under the luxury tax, and so to me it doesn't make any sense why they would do that. No, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I would have to agree there. And with Texas, you're right. They are they even good enough to beat the Mariners or the Angels? They certainly aren't, in my opinion, without adding a starting pitcher like Darvish or Arietta. Yeah, I agree. Um. What do you want to talk about next? Let's. We were just going to talk about. So we were talking about the Yankees. Let's talk about the Yankees for a minute. They have a couple of. Do you think that they're going to get any more hitters? I think that if the right situation for a third baseman comes to fruition, they would certainly jump on it, a la Todd Frazier or even um, Mike Moustakis if he's willing to take a one-year deal. They have Torres and Andrew. How do you even say his name? Andrew Jar. It's, it's, uh, it's Miguel Andahar, 
Andahar. Uh, and obviously, you know Gliber Torres. Gliber um, Torres. What about Ronaldo? I think the Yankees like Torres at second base, and Andahar is a third baseman, but his defense um, has been his problem. Uh, I know it improved a little bit, but I don't. They don't believe he's ready to play the field at third base. Although his bat is definitely ready. Okay, so what about who's playing second? Ronald, Ronald, Ronald it's Torres. It's Torres. Torres yes. slash Wade. Wade. Um, Wade's a good prospect. So, Didn't do much in his time last year, but they have faith in him. And Torres could win either one of those second or third base jobs with a solid spring. But there's no reason to rush him, in my opinion. Well, Gleyber Torres, for sure, there's no reason to rush him. I mean, honestly, are they are they really planning on starting out with him at their as their second baseman? Yeah, I mean, to me, especially following the injury he had, I'd let him stay in the minors for at least a month and a half or two. And then if he's proven himself to be ready to actually still play ball, um, I'd bring him up then if, if you need him. But to start him out for the beginning of the year makes no sense. The, t- the lineup is good enough that they could they could deal with Torres at second base or Wade at second base and still get by with the power they have in the middle there. I think they would be smart to go after a guy like Brandon Phillips, a guy like Jed Lowry, a guy, you know, these types of guys. But they definitely, I'm, in my opinion, the Yankees cannot enter the season without some infiller of some kind to just, I mean, they have, I don't know why they won't play Torius. What's wrong with him? Torius, T-O-R-R-E-Y-E-S. He was yeah, fine. Torius, yeah, Torius. Um, they, they, they like Torius. I really think Torius is going to start. He's like their utility of- guy. Yeah, he's going to start at second or third, um, one of those two. And he's not a bad he's not a bad ball player, but he's really more of a utility guy, someone who um, probably keep the seat warm for a guy like Andahar or Gliber Torres. But I agree with you. I think a guy like a Brandon Phillips um, would be a good move. You can get him on the cheap, stay under your um, luxury tax threshold, and at least have somebody that can slot in, someone who you know can give you quality at bats. It's not like he's going to cost a lot of money. That's true. Um, the Royals. So they made a qualifying offers to Hosmer, Mustakas, and Kane. And basically, they what they're going to get back is um, compensation picks if those players sign somewhere else. So people are like now getting all antsy, being like, oh, are they going to get to sign and all this? People are like trying to get Mustakas in, into a one-year deal, which I think is a bunch of BS. But <laughs> anyway, like I'll just say it how I think it. The um, basically whatever compensation pick they get is going to be based on how much these players sign for. So if the player signs for more than fifty million, then the compensation pick will come after the first round. If they sign for less than fifty million, then the pick will be after the competitive balance round B, which comes after the second round. So, I mean, do you think that the the Royals could say, I mean, maybe we should take back one of these guys? We can afford to sign one of them at least. You know, we're not going to. Because what happens to them if they don't get signed? Let's say the beginning of the season starts and none of these three have deals yet. Then what? Kansas City gets zero for them or does it matter? So even if they sign like six months into the season, do they still get a compensation pick based on what they get paid then? Or how does that work? Honestly, I haven't even looked into how that works because I just can't imagine none of these guys – um, all being signed at one point. I think the most likely to go, though, would probably be Lorenzo Cain to me because um, you look at him, he is great speed, uh, great defense, great bat, and there is a lot more need for that right now than there is in the corner infield positions. I mean, think of, around the Major League Baseball right now. What team, besides maybe the Mets at third base, is really lacking like really, really needs a third baseman and a first baseman. Because Ooh. think about think think about first base for instance. The Phillies signed Carlos Santana. The Nats signed Matt Adams. Red Sox signed Moreland. Indians signed Alonzo. I mean, those were teams that had that huge opening at first base. So now, where's Hosmer going to go? The Royals. The Padres are still interested. He's better off staying with the Royals, who drafted him, developed him, and he won a World Series with, and going to a team like the Padres. I mean, I agree, but that once again, the money speaks, and Mustakas is going to get. I definitely think that Mustakas has a place somewhere. I mean, Mustakas, Mustakas too, but is is he willing to take a one or two year deal? Why should and he have to? I like Mustakas, 
and I know Lenny's talked about it a number of times. I think you and I have talked about this as, as well. But you look at him, and he obviously produces the power department, but he has that big body, and a lot of people are worried about how he's going to hold up as he gets older. I think a one-year deal wouldn't be as crazy to me because he could go into it knowing he's in another contract year, prove to people that he can do it two years in a row because he did set career highs this year, and then okay. he might be able to get that long-term contract. But, I mean, you're going to go up in free agency against, like, what could possibly be the the best free agent market ever in the history of Major League Baseball? I don't think so, dude. He's going to take some kind of multi-year contract at least two years because nobody wants to be a free agent next year. I can't argue with that. There's, there's <laughs> nothing – I can't argue with that at all. You're spot on. It's just, to me, Moustakis might have – like, I, I'm going to I'm gonna kind of play devil's advocate and say you look at the third basemen that are out there. You see what Machado's going to get. Although Moustakis doesn't look like as nearly as bad of an option when he is your – the guy you mm. get if you lose out on Manny Machado. But right now, he's the top third base option. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's the guy setting the bar for third base, whereas next year he can kind of slide under the radar. He could be that Yonder Alonso or Matt Adams or Mitch Moreland at third base next year. I don't know. I mean, I just don't – I would be doing everything I could to get signed right away. You know what I mean? Right away. Um. So, yeah, that's that. What about Pittsburgh? The Giants are uh, the only team that's, like – rumored to be interested in Andrew McCutcheon. They don't really know what to do with Andrew McCutcheon. They already signed him. So the manager, I forget what his name is, but he was talking about McCutcheon, I don't know, maybe about a month ago in an, in an interview and basically saying that we also, we want, we like McCutcheon and we want to resign him, but we can't, but basically we also want to win a world series and those two aren't really um, compatible. So basically saying that with, if they keep McCutcheon, they can't either. I think what he was trying to say is that they can't really build around McCutcheon because then they don't really have the money free. I, I don't really know. Like they, they're basically saying it's one or the other, either McCutcheon or a World Series. And you know, what is, what do you think of that? I I think the Pirates need to trade Harrison, Cole, McCutcheon, pretty much everybody in re- rebuild there. Uh, I think the Reds are closer than the Pirates are to being good. Um, the Brewers are getting better. The Cardinals are trying to reload and The Cubs are still good. Um, if there's a time to sell for the Pirates, it's right now. I agree, but how much are they going to get for this guy? He's not, <laughs> I don't know. He's always in, he is always in trade talk. He has been for two years. I so, mean, are you trading him by himself? Are you trading him with Harrison or with Cole? It all it all depends on the type of trade they try and make. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of teams out there that could use an Andrew McCutcheon. It's just a matter of what they're willing to pay. Um, if you could get a starter with him or if you can get a utility infielder like Josh Harrison with him, then I do think that you can certainly make a, enough of an offer um, that the Pirates would like to take on McCutcheon. I mean, as a Yankee fan right now, not that it's going to happen, I would take McCutcheon over Brett Gardner or Hicks or Ellsbury. Oh, well, okay, don't put Hicks. Don't even put Gardner and Ellsbury in the same conversation, much less the same sentence, okay? You're a Yankee fan. I can't believe you would do that. Oh, I'm just saying that I would prefer McCutcheon over all those guys. Okay, but I don't know why nobody gives any love to Brett Gardner. He's been pretty good. I, I like Brett Gardner a lot, but Brett Gardner does not uh, steal as much as he used to. He doesn't hit for a good average. He has a decent on-base percentage. Um, he's he's good in, he's a good outfielder. He's a very good outfielder. Um, but there's there's I'm saying there's better options, and he's also getting older. And I'm not saying I want McCutcheon on the Yankees. I'm just saying there's certainly openings where a team could and would like McCutcheon. I wanted to talk to you about your Red Sox for a little bit. You got to talk uh, to me about the Yankees. Yeah, okay. Um, there's been a lot of talk about them and Manny Machado. I think the Machado situation is so interesting. Why? Well, think about it. If you don't trade him right now in this offseason, um, then it only lowers his value, in my opinion, if you try and trade him at the July 31st deadline in 28, or I guess this year now, I forgot, or in the new year now. Um because if you try and trade him at July 31st, 
we're only getting what two months and hopefully a postseason run. At least now, if you trade him, um, you can get a significant haul because if you don't trade him now and then you don't get what you want at the deadline, do you really want to run the risk of being able to trade him? Um, not being able to trade him at all, I should say. See him walk as a free agent, get a compensatory uh, draft pick for him. I mean, that's going to set them back probably a decade rather than maybe only five years of having to lose Manny Machado. And there's been tons of rumors, and rumors are rumors, I know, but the White Sox made a significant offer. The Red Sox have been in talks. The Yankees have been in talks. And I don't want to hear about the whole, this is, I don't want to trade him within the division. If you can get the best deal from the Red Sox or the Yankees, you do it for the better of your organization. This well, the is problem is, is that the, the, the freaking Orioles have no clue what they're doing. They need to hire some other guy to make trades because their sales department is not doing their job. First of all, I don't, I, there, I don't think that we can say that just because if they don't trade him going into the season that they're not going to be able to get anything for him. I'm concerned that they're asking way too much for him. And like what I've been reading is that the White Sox have had like the best offer, but they're still pissed off about it. They're like seriously out being annoyed that you know saying stuff like don't even bother now because he's off the market like we're not trading him anymore because we can't even get a Shelby Miller for him and I mean again Shelby Miller sucks so quit comparing your potential trade to Shelby Miller if that was the highlight of your trade and number two if you do sell him closer to the trade deadline you aren't going to be asking for as much. So maybe, just maybe, you might get a deal worked out because at least it's fair on both sides. You know, there are teams that are headed into the playoffs, into the post, you know, into the second half. They, this is where they know what they have and they know what they need to compete this year. And so teams, I think, are willing to make that, uh, you know, act, they're willing to trade off some prospects if they think that they can compete right now with the Manny Machado. You know, they're going to give some prospects. But right now... Obviously, Baltimore is not happy with the offers that they've gotten, and I don't think they're going to be. They're going to be a lot less happy, Andrea, at July 31st, though, with the offers that they're getting. Well, I don't know what the Red Sox could possibly be offering them. They have zero prospects, okay? So unless they started trading money in trades, I don't think that – I mean – what do they I've even heard? Have? I've heard Bogarts or Devers rumors, which I think would be insane for the Red Sox to do. You don't give up. You don't give up six years or three plus years of control for one year of a guy. And if I'm going to make a trade for Machado at all, there's only two ways I would do it. First is if I don't have to give up any top tier talent, which obviously they're not going to accept. The other way would be if there's a sign and trade involved. If I can come to terms with the contract, etc., for Machado prior to the trade. I'd be willing to part with my top-tier prospects because I know he'd be a part of my team's future. But why would Machado even want to do a sign-in trade? He has nothing to gain from it. He's better off testing the market. So to me, I wouldn't even want to trade for Machado at this point. The longer the Orioles wait, the less they're going to get. And if they don't get a lot for him, it's a huge fail. I don't know if that's true because teams that are in need of a hitter, a third baseman with power— at the trade deadline, they might be willing to pay quite a free penny for him. And the Red Sox are not the guy. They are not going to be the ones. I mean, does Baltimore even know if they're sellers or buyers of what the hell they're doing? Are they going to be able to compete? They don't know. They haven't done anything. So nobody really knows what they're thinking. Are they thinking? And you thinking? know what? They should take the hint. They should take the hint. When Britton injured himself the way that Britton injured himself this offseason, they should take the hint and realize it's time to sell. I mean, they, they need to get their pitching fixed. They, they definitely need a left-handed bat. They they definitely need a lefty. I do know that. Well, you're right about that because they have who? Joey Rickard. He's a decent platoon guy if they had that lefty. Adam Jones, obviously. Trey Mancini. Those guys are going to play probably every day. I mean, look and, at what they're stuck with. They have Chris Davis. This guy is just – he's. I don't know how much they owe him still, at least several years of money. But he had the worst season of his life. He struck out 195 times in 127 games last year. Uh, Mark Trumbo got worse in pretty much every category that counts. 47 home runs to 23 home runs. He had a career low in batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage. All of his numbers went down significantly. They have a freaking rotation that stinks. They need Kevin Gaussman and Dylan Bundy. They're just seriously. Do you Gaussman- know who the Orioles three and four starters are right now? No, I have no idea. Okay, let, let me tell you. Forget about left-handed pitching right now. They need pitching, okay? And number three, Gabriel 
Noah, I think it is Y N A O. Okay, he's not even a starter. He, he, okay, he's only thrown fifty three innings in Major League Baseball between the Mets and the Orioles. So no experience, doesn't do anything. Number four, Alec Asher. He's twenty six, righty. He has an ERA over five and a half in one hundred sixteen innings in major in minor league the Phillies and the Orioles. Okay, um, they they have nothing in their rotation at all. So to me. They need to just make up their mind. Are they selling or are they going for it this year? If they're going for it this year, then they need to spend some money. They're and not going to – I mean, they're Dave just – Bruce or Malky Cabrera in the outfield and go out and get some starting pitching. But they don't have what it takes to do it. They're better off just selling. They pretty much need tank. to sell right now. Tank, 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 tank. I don't tank. know why they won't do it. Tank, <laughs> yeah. Um, the Phillies are getting a little better. I'm a big fan of the Phillies. You know I'm a big fan of Aaron Nola. And Odebell. I like Aaron Alther and Reese Hoskins. Okay, he's okay. I haven't really got enough of him. But they say that Nick Williams is the likeliest of the Phillies outfielders to be traded. I wonder what the Phillies are up to. I don't think they're done yet. I really don't think they're done yet. I think that they feel like they might be able to compete. Especially, I mean, Washington Nationals, they're another team. They have one more shot. They got Bryce Harper going to free agency next year if they don't resign him. They have one more chance to do this. Last year, they went into the season without a closer. So you know that the rumors are all over the place. But one interesting rumor that I saw about the Nationals is that could they attempt to keep Bryce Harper by signing his brother, Brian Harper, who is a pitcher, 28-year-old. He's his older brother. He's a left-handed relief pitcher. Um, at AA and AAA, he was pretty good. So what are the odds of seeing Brian Harper as a bullpen guy for the Nationals this season in an attempt to sign Bryce Harper. I mean, ludicrous, if you ask me. I mean, it sounds absolutely insane on the surface, but it's not like Brian wasn't um, pitching very well when he before he got injured. He was in double A. Uh, he was a closer, and I believe he had six saves, pretty low ERA, good whip, and he also dominated left-handed hitters when he got to AAA, posted a 1.80 ERA. So at the very least, he could probably be used as a left-handed specialist in the big leagues if he does fully recover from his surgery and goes back to the minor leagues. Um, will that be what keeps Bryce Harper in I mean, Washington? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think he, he really needs to sign a contract to stay with his brother. It just sounds stupid. It's like no, uh, I mean, they already the Upton brothers together. all over again. They already got to play together anyways. They uh, played at the uh, College of Southern Nevada, I think, and that was that's when Bryce was a catcher. He actually caught his brother. Oh, that's pretty cool. So before – I wanted to bring up something that I, I was kind of lost when we were talking, and I couldn't find this piece in this article that I was reading about the relief pitching um, landscape. You know I'm a big fan of the effector, and I really am a big fan of, of um, them – baseball in general using relief pitchers more often especially since we obviously raise our starting pitchers now to be wimps so the Yankees proved last year that you don't need depth in your rotation if you have 15 bullpen guys that can just crush everybody so I mean you know there's question about how that's going to work out in the future like how many relief pitchers are you going to be able to use because that's what it really seems like uh, teams are doing they've just given up on trying to get their starters to go five or six innings and now if they don't then it's not that big of a deal then they can get these relief pitchers for about half the cost of a starter and just throw them in there when they need them just have extras like on hand but um hence the colorado rockies right and that that is something that i think that people take for granted like it's such a great thing what they did when they signed those three when they signed Brian Shaw, when they signed Wade Davis, when they signed Jake McGee, everybody's looking at it like, oh, you know, Colorado has such a great bullpen. No, they spent the most money on their bullpen. That doesn't mean they have the best bullpen because there's plenty of bullpens in baseball that can compete with those guys. Trust me. And, it's, it, you know, Jake McGee and Brian Shaw are probably not the best bullpen guys that Colorado even has. But the fact that they signed Wade Davis, everybody thinks, oh, la, la. There is a lot of risk involved in spending that much money on relief pitchers. Um like I said earlier, Melanson has – last year was a perfect example of what happens when you sign a relief pitcher like that. But obviously it's not – it's just one instance. But Wade Davis isn't Mark Melanson. Right. And it's not like they well, why not? Why, two years ago they were both the top closers. 
Yeah, and you saw what happened with Aroldis Chapman. He got injured. Kenley certainly didn't have any issues, though, and Chapman obviously came back strong. I mean, when you're elite, you're elite. I have no issue with the Davis signing, but if we're going back to the Rockies, I do agree that the money could have been spent elsewhere. Um, let me pull this up, too, because I wanted to bring up something. There was a uh, – something came out the other day. I'm sure if anybody reads about baseball, they've probably heard this, um, that there's actually four play, 14 players in baseball currently playing that were signed on free agent contracts. And they make – 14 of them that make at least $20 million a year and $100 million overall. There's 14. So these are just free agent signings. It's not like extensions like Votto or Freeman or any of them. It's It's – free agent purchases. So two out of the 14 of those players are actually doing well. Max Scherzer and John Lester. So that's two pitchers. But um, Granke, he had one good season, one bad season. Jonas Cespedes, like um, Tanaka, seven-year, $155 million. That's not working out. Cueto, Cueto or Tanaka, neither one of them opted out of their contract because why would they? They know that they can't make any more money than they're already making, so they stayed put just like we knew that they would. David Price, he gets to opt out next season after three years of his $7 million contract, but $217 million is what they paid him, and he's obviously just <laughs> as good as a bullpen guy at this point, so hopefully he turns it around. Albert Pools is another one. He's six years into 10 years, $240 million contract. It's like who knows where they're even going to get to play him. Can he, He'll be DHing from here on out most likely. Um, Robinson Cano, he's okay, but he's four years through a 10-year contract. And all of these players that are signing these huge long-term contracts that are over $20 million a year and over $100 million, like, that's what they're talking about, you know, um, Hosmer getting. And these these players that are out there, obviously, some of these guys still want this much money. And it's being brought to everybody's attention through the media that, these players that are signing these huge deals are just crappy. Jordan Zimmerman, another one. Um, he's 17 and 20. He's got a 5.6 ERA after two years and a five-year, 110 million dollar contract. Um, and then, do you even want to talk about Jacoby Ellsbury, uh, Prince Fielder, Carl Crawford, Josh Hamilton, A. Rod, all of these guys? So that was that. And then I, what I found today was pretty interesting. Um, the the thing about the closing landscape right so after the 2015 season teams handed out multi-year deals to 14 non-closers relief pitchers um, 197 million dollars or about 5.8 million per pitcher per season in just two seasons 13 of those 14 pitchers have either been hurt pitched poorly or are no longer with the same team and only one of those 14 pitchers has pitched effectively for his signing club for two years guess who it was guess who it is you'll never guess it no, I I can't. It's Joaquin all. Soria. Wow. He's the only one out of the fourteen that's Those, pitched. So what does that what does that tell us? Firstly, that, no ten year contracts, and if the guy is more than twenty six years old, you shouldn't pay him past thirty three. I don't think that it's. I just think that it's pretty risky to spend twenty seven million dollars on Jake McGee. I think it's really risky to spend twenty seven million dollars on. Brian Shaw. I think it's hella risky to spend $18 million a year on Wade Davis. I mean, at least, you know, Wade Davis has proven that he's very good in that situation. Now, obviously, we put a little bit more into closers than we do relief pitchers. That, that was made very clear by your friends, the Yankees, last year when they crushed uh, Batances in arbitration and then made a fool out of him on, on TV or whatever they did. <laughs> But I think that's changing. I do think that there's some risk in it. So I'm just not going to give Colorado the National League West at the moment, not by any stretch of the word. And that's it. They better be working on their starting pitchers. Just like, I mean, Baltimore is, has no pitching. You're right. The Orioles have absolutely no pitching at all. Um, and the loss of Britain, as I mentioned, uh, they're in trouble. I mean, they could go in. Their, their lineup has enough thump and talent in it to score runs. Their issue, forget about the left-handed hitter, although they could use one, um, they have absolutely no starting pitching, and they're better off starting to sell off some of their pieces. They're worried about their finances. If they can sell Trumbo, do it. If you can sell Adam Jones, do it. If you can sell Machado, do it. Bring in pitching. 
bring What are they paying? I wonder what they're paying Trumbo. I don't even know what they're paying Trumbo. I mean, Jonathan Scope. Jonathan Scope might be the only guy right now in Baltimore that I'd keep around and try and build around him. He's terrific. He's awesome. They have some good... I mean, look, they have a couple of good players on that team, but Scope, Jones, Beckham's pretty good. Uh, but that that's it. Like, they have just rookies after that, and I don't know what they're going to do with their pitching. It's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> so they got to get rid of Machado. I, I agree with you, but why do they have to be such idiots about it and be, like, crying on TV and be like, oh, nobody's giving us what we want, and... No, you get what the market decides you get. That's what you get, you know? Teams don't get... They don't decide. You The market decides what you're worth. Yeah, and... I just I just can't believe that they're waiting as long as they did. They should have made the deal weeks ago when there was actually action kind of coming at them. Um, they're they're going to blow this the way that they've blown a lot of things in the past, and Machado's going to end up walking as a free agent because they're never going to get the deal that they want, especially if they wait and wait and wait. And they 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 should they should do what Tampa's doing. Tampa's what did Tampa do? They traded Longoria. Um, Tampa's gonna. Tampa's going to rebuild. They're going to try and do it a little on the fly. It's not like they're super amazing right now either, um, but they got some younger pieces back. They took on a bad contract. Tampa's going to do the right thing. Boston and New York are trending upwards for the next, what, three to five years at least. The Blue Jays are kind of right in the middle. You're looking at the landscape of the AL East. Orioles can keep pretending for another couple years and then ultimately have to rebuild, or they can get ahead of it and start rebuilding now and be relevant much sooner you know the orioles have always been the kind of they just they wait they they're they're just like they're known for starting the season well and then ending the season horribly after the all-star break it's like they turn into another team that they're just known for just waiting it out and seeing what happens but uh, i don't know they should they should just come on throw in the towel i'm just reading now that nick castellanos you know um the Tigers are obviously in rebuilding mode, okay? Um, nobody's complaining about that, though, like they are in Miami. Nick Castellanos, uh, third baseman, I really think he could be great with for fantasy if he ever lives up to his potential, but he's not very good. He was really good in the second half last year. I think he also – I also think it coincides with him moving to the outfield a little bit. I think he played some right field after J.D. Martinez was traded, too. Um so he's a he guy. He doesn't play well. He he's got a horrible defense, but, but yeah, he's not he's not the greatest defensive player. But he might be better in the outfield than at third base, and he definitely has some serious pop. Expect him to get traded. I, he's got two more years on his contract though, so which could just be more incentive for him to get traded because teams will actually be willing to give up a little bit to have control for a couple years. But apparently well, they. That, but also to me, when I think rebuild, and I have. Uh, relatively young player that's going to enter his prime, his prime is going to be useless to me. Especially, you look at the Tigers. What is Castellanos going to mean to them for the next two years? They're a rebuilding team. They trade him now while he's going to enter his prime, get a good return for him, and use those players as part of their rebuild. At some point, like even with Michael Fulmer, I think, even though there's four years left on him, are the Tigers going to be winning the Central in four years? I don't know about that. That's a bit of a stretch to me. Trade Fulmer sooner rather than later get as much as you can for him maybe in the middle of of 2018 if he has a good first few months because he is a former rookie of the year and although he is still kind of a prospect because he's only pitched about a year and a half or so if he can establish himself again as an elite pitcher that's when you trade him don't wait the tigers are in the position where they still have those players, they got rid of Upton, they got rid of Kinsler. Mickey's contract's going to be hard to move, but they can move it in the right deal. They need to move some of these guys. So I'm with you. Castellanos will be gone. Yes, I agree, definitely. So did you read about – I don't know if anybody talked about this, but I wasn't paying attention if they did. Um, I was just reading about today that Atlanta Braves getting penalized by MLB for having too many international players on their roster. Like, did you hear anything about that? Yeah, I heard that they had to release a certain amount of them, and they were free 12. to sign elsewhere. Twelve. They lost 12 prospects, okay, and including this one prospect, Kevin Maiton. Uh, he's supposedly, like, the best player to come out of Venezuela since Miguel Cabrera. 
He's 17 years old, but um, the Braves are also going to learn their lose their third round pick next year. It's really going to affect the team more in like four or five seasons when all of these youngsters were supposed to like, you know, start to develop. But it's interesting to me what happens now. I mean, seriously, they just lost 12 players. Like, do they get any now they just have extra spaces on their roster? Like, how do they replace those players? Do they just get to go and pick 12 other players or I, I mean, that that whole thing is a little confusing to me. But apparently, like somebody's been banned from baseball forever and it, it, you know, they're pretty much setting precedent on this one. Um, apparently, they just they weren't honest about how many players that they signed. They signed nine players last year. Um, that they wouldn't have been able to sign those nine players if they were accurately accounting for the signings that they did they, in 2015, 2016. So basically, MLB just took them, took the players. I guess they dump them back into the free agent pool. I don't really know, but. It, it drove me to look at their depth chart and their prospect, um, their upcoming prospects and stuff. And Atlanta is absolutely just stacked when it comes to pitching. So another team that's kind of questionable about what they're doing. Obviously, they're trying to rebuild, but they do have kind of a young core that is exciting. And Atlanta could be kind of like a little dark horse uh, coming into the season if they can take some of these prospect pitchers. Atlanta's always had super good prospect pitching. Isn't that funny how that, like, they always have good young prospect pitchers. Anyway, if they can do something with those and get some hitting, they might be okay this coming season. Yeah, I mean, I still think Washington's the elite in that division. I think the Phillies are going to be better as well. Um, but obviously the Marlins heading in the wrong direction, and I don't know what to make of the Mets. Just count them out. Forget it. They can't do anything. The Mets are just ridiculous. Well, I think it's interesting with the Braves is when they um, they traded Kemp to the Dodgers. Obviously, they got rid of Gonzalez. But I think the moves for Brandon McCarthy and Casimir, despite their injury history and injury threat, I think those are the type of arms that could actually help um, bring some of these younger arms along and also gives them depth in their rotation as to where if some of these young hitters on this team, um, obviously Freddie Freeman's there, but if guys like Albie, Swanson, and Camargo um, can really take a next step and get going, they could be better than people have um, and expect because some of these young pitchers like a Newcomb, um, like a Freed, maybe even um, Teheran gets back on track, um, they have pieces there. They absolutely do. They really do. I'm not a huge fan of Max Freed. I think he's okay, but I think he walks too many batters. I really think that he's going to need a couple years to be any good. So just take that in mind when you're at your draft this year, trying to draft Max Freed in like the fifth round, acting all crazy. That's that's pretty early. <laughs> you know, um, who was it? God, who was it the other day that somebody got – Acuna was it Acuna that got drafted in the first round of a mock draft the other day? Just that that that's what I hear. I mean, is he is he starting the season in the majors? I have I haven't heard that he is. It's, it's not like it's, he has like a golden ticket. So even if he did, I don't care. He's I mean he's never played in the major leagues at all. He's had <laughs> his minor leagues total. I mean, not very many. He started in 2015. He's like barely 20 years old he's not he's just he's done well in the minors fairly well he's had like 18 homers and 450 at bats so is that really that great it's okay it's like average nowadays in baseball so um i mean at triple a he's striking out 20 percent of the time and i would hate to see what that's going to look like after they figure him out in the majors so the fact that he's going in the first round in any draft is unbelievable to me but i'll just keep letting everybody draft those rookies andrea how many 20 year olds have broken into the majors with limited experience in the minor leagues and actually become a star that that first season at 20 like five that i know of total like evan longoria i think did or um Carl Crawford, I can't remember who. Carl Crawford, maybe. Just a couple, though. Not very many. Yeah, it's 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 almost unheard of. So, to me, um, you don't draft a 20-year-old in the first round of a redraft league. No, you don't. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm 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 gonna look it up now. I want to see the youngest debuts and if there's some big big um, like if there's some huge names on there. I mean, look what the Dodgers did. They brought up Julio Urias at 19, and um, look, they, look what happened to him. Yeah, a lot of a lot of players actually do very poorly because they get brought up too early. But so back to the Brave story, right? So they take these 12 players, they throw them back into wherever they throw them back into the international free agent signing pool or who knows what they do, but. They lost their third-round pick this coming season, and then they also are going to have huge restrictions in 2019 and 2020. They don't get to sign this prospect, um, Robert Paulson. They actually, they're saying that Atlanta struck this illegal deal with Paulson to sign with them in 2019 when he's eligible to sign. So apparently they, like, they've made some side deal, making sure that this guy is going to be available. Now they're... MLB said no, you can't have him. Even if even if he falls to you, or even no matter what, he's off limits to you. <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. I don't know why yeah, nobody's talking about it. You know, okay, you know what? Adrian Beltre was 19 years old. Yeah. Um, but I don't. Uh, Justin Upton was 19. Kershaw was 20. Bumgarner was 19. Harper was 19. Uh, oh. But I mean. That, so, that's, that's recently. Yeah, but that's like this year. None of those guys were first round value when they were rookies, let alone even fantasy relevant necessarily. That's the best thing about playing in Dynasty and Keeper Leagues because people are so out of whack when it comes to how they value youngsters. Now, I mean, for me, it really doesn't even matter a ton. It's really not going to change my draft pick for the most part. If you're Mark Reynolds' age or if you're Ozzy Albee's age, it does not matter to me. If I need this piece and I'm going to win this year with this piece, that's who I pick every single time. Because if you continue to try to win next year, if you continue to try to win in four years, you are never going to win, ever. you got to do what you got to do to win right now so that you can get some bragging rights, okay? And quit acting like these rookies are going to pan out for you. I'm all about win now. I mean, if if I'm not having a good year, sure, I'll start selling off pieces. Uh, but I'm much more of the win now. I mean, why would I why would I take um, someone who hasn't done anything at all uh, before I take before I take the um, the guy that's proven and like a proven commodity at that? So I'm going to go. I'm. We're over the limit now, and I'll probably cut this out at the end anyway before I post it up. So but this is a big extra treat for the people in the chat room. Not that you even care about this crap because you probably don't. But if you do, here you go. So, Lou, remember this huge conversation that we had about um, standing and kneeling during the national anthem? Of course. You went on one of the finest rants I've ever heard on uh, on radio. That was a great rant, and that – my friend, is how rants are done. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, shortly after that, Lenny and I went on a, our road trip, and we went to an, an Oakland game. Uh, i got to find out this person's name because I have to get it right. So just one second. We went to an Oakland Ruth game. Maxwell? Yes. Thank you very much. So we, we go to the Oakland game, and I look at Lenny, and I'm like, wait a minute. I think a baseball player is kneeling right now, and you know how I feel about that. And so it was the first and only MLB player to kneel during the national anthem. And so, of course, I'm annoyed by that, but whatever. I find out it's Bruce Maxwell. He's like this uh, prospect catcher. And it was pretty intriguing to me that he was going to be the that he was going to be that guy to make a statement because you would think that somebody just doesn't really want to mess around when they're trying to get a job in the majors. You know, you, you probably just don't really want to even step foot into this kind of uh, divided territory that we're in these days and the fact that his numbers aren't really that good either you know it's like hope you enjoy playing in the minors so anyway about I would say a month after that um first TMZ had him on first TMZ gets him on and he's telling him that they were mean to him and in his hometown they refused to serve him at this restaurant and that he was getting racial slurs and and that he was at he went to this restaurant with the councilman and one of his friends, and they refused to serve him. And so TMZ is just like eating this up, of course. And it comes off really kind of pretty bad for the people in his hometown. So then um, just in October, at the end of October, he's at his home. He has a home in Scottsdale, apparently. 
and the food delivery person, Grubhub or Uber Eats or whoever it was, is bringing food to his house. He answers the door with no shirt and in underwear, and he's got his gun on this. And this is a delivery driver. It's a girl. It's a woman. So he pulls the gun on this girl, and then he gets arrested for, I don't know, just whatever it is, threatened with a fucking deadly weapon or whatever it is. Having a weapon, yeah, gun possession. Like uh, disorderly conduct was one of them. So I was just reading about this because, of course, you know, as soon as I saw the name Bruce Maxwell, I didn't even realize who it was. I was like, who is this guy? I look him up on now. Now I'm seeing all these. Now I'm thinking this guy has got to be crazy. So I'm looking into the whole story about not being served. I'm looking into where he lives because as I'm writing Chatter the other day, I'm going to find out if this fool is like actually privileged, you know, Surrounded by white privilege, as they want to call it. You know, everybody (laughs) – I feel bad for those people that are white privileged. But Colin Kaepernick is half white privileged, and he was privileged growing up. He never really went without anything. And so I was going to just go to see if this is going to be true for Bruce Maxwell. Of course, he's actually half black. He was raised in – he was a military family kid or whatever. But for the most part, there wasn't a lot of black kids around him. And so he, his reasoning for – because then Jeff Passan of – it's either Yahoo or – I think it's Yahoo Sports or Fox Sports. He, he interviewed uh, Maxwell about what he did and some of the reasons why – well, one of the reasons that he gave, the only reason that he gave that he saw any kind of injustice growing up was when they – some person in the stands of this baseball tournament in Little League, they w- went to travel to this other place where – um, they were they were an away team and they beat the home team and so the fans were pissed in the stands and somebody yelled a racial slur at him. He was ten years old, and so just all of this crap comes around. So I don't even know why I'm telling you this story, but I thought it was I thought it was pretty interesting to to see. Look, I mean that stuff's gonna happen wherever you go, uh, whatever your religion is, whatever your race is. Um, if he's gonna be an African American half or full-blooded African-American in Major League Baseball, he's got to respect what Jackie Robinson went through because that's real torture. They have no clue what Jackie Robinson went through because they have actually no clue what it's really like to be... I mean, granted, I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. I would be ignorant to say that it doesn't happen. And as a white woman with blonde hair, and you know, I very rarely ever get harassed by anybody, especially the police. So, and I've seen it happen. I know it happens, but take a stand at doing something real. Don't bother well, me with this. Just respect the history of the game and what a guy like Jackie Robinson had to go through to allow yourself to even have an opportunity to be on the field to kneel in the first place. So check it out. This is what comes to my mind. Like, this guy answers the door, and he doesn't even know. The, the 911 call is actually in chatter. The 911 call, the interview on TMZ, and pretty much everything that I could find that was too intriguing is up there. But there was an interview after that T- TMZ got or somebody, Fox News put up, that the server from the restaurant where he was raised in Alabama, they totally denied not serving him. They said, he said, I absolutely not did not try to the only reason that I wouldn't serve his friend a beer was because he had an expired driver's license and we will lose our job if we serve somebody with an expired ID and he was so pissed off that I wouldn't serve him that he you know they made a big scene saying do you know who Bruce Maxwell is you know who this of course there's two sides to every story but I thought that was intriguing too that really that whatever he said about not being served they're totally denying that fact and I I tend to believe them sorry and I'm wondering what do you think if the reason that he went crazy and answered the door of the food delivery girl with a gun on her, like she was, you know, like he was paranoid, basically. All of these threats and stuff that he's getting from kneeling during the national anthem, do you think that that's like caused him into being paranoid, you know, uh, mental illness type thing? Well, I want to start by saying, I don't think I'm on this show to for my psych, psychology knowledge. I think it's because um, you and I like to talk baseball. But if I had to take a <laughs> Come guess, on, man. <laughs> if I had to take a guess, though, um, I would say <laughs> I would say that yeah. I mean, maybe. Do he's you a really though? Right. I mean, 
think think about um, I always go back to the Yankees, but Roger Maris, when he was if you saw the movie sixty one or you've done any reading on it, when he was gonna break Babe Ruth's record, he got death threats, um, people throwing things at his home. No one wanted him to beat Ruth's record um, for the home runs and for a Yankee, and he lost a lot of weight. He got very sick and, you know, was going through a lot um, because of all that pressure. So it is quite possible that um, Maxwell had to deal with the same thing and probably to an even greater extent because of social media. It could be. So here, here's, I'd like to make sure that I make it clear that, you know, if this is the case and this has really caused him this much distress that he's actually, he's going to miss playing time. He's going to miss time if he has to go to trial on this thing because, um, the trial isn't even supposed to start till um, April 10th or something like that. So, you know, they're probably going to settle it out of court just to avoid all of that hassle. But um, if, if that's the case and, you know, that he's been treated this bad over it, um, of course, I would never want that for anybody. Everybody makes, you know, he's going to figure out whatever, but nobody deserves to be harassed enough to put him into like <laughs> seriously i don't know it's crazy yeah and i i mean we've seen not that it's the exact same um situation but we've seen guys like zach renke roberto osuna deal with anxiety and it's affected um you know their way of life the way they play the game um so i mean it's clearly not far-fetched that maxwell is dealing with um with issues but at the end of the day he brought it upon himself. I agree, and, and that's that I where I, that's where I kind of that's where I changed my mind a little bit on the story on how I feel about it because he was the one on TMZ saying all this stuff about how he was you know people were not serving him at the restaurant and all of this stuff making it sound way worse than it was when in reality like this this restaurant says no way that was not the case. So for me, if he's out there like trying to get rich and and popular like famous off of it, then. Nobody deserves that, but it makes it a little, it makes it a little okay. Yeah, he, he brought he brought it upon himself at the end of the day, um, and unfortunately, um, you know, sometimes if you make a mistake in life, um, it comes back and it burns you. And right now, um, if that is the case, he's getting burned. And forget about um, the real life situation for a moment, which is obviously more important for him, but. How is it going to affect his playing career, too? Well, I, I have some good news for him. They're probably not going to remember the whole kneeling during the national anthem now. Since he did this pulling a gun on the delivery driver. She goes, did you order food? And he says, what did I order? And she told him what he ordered, and that was it. <laughs> he didn't even know that he ordered food. Who knows what happened there, but some weird oh, stuff. That anyway, is, that I, is, yeah, that is some weirdness. But we'll have to we'll have to check out what what's happening there with uh, with the court situation and, and everything. Um, maybe um, maybe we can send um, some reporters there to uh, give us a scoop. I'll keep you updated because I like to keep up on it. So anyway, I wasn't really planning on going into that rant, and I'll probably just cut that right out. So um, thanks for listening, everybody. If you haven't like fallen asleep or. <laughs> change channels by now so happy new year everybody lou thanks for joining me and we'll see you next week how about that it sounds good to me thanks everybody take care happy new year